All right, let's open with a word of prayer here. Dear Father God, I do thank you for the day that you've given to us, and I'm thankful for uh, the beauty of your seasons. I'm thankful for um, just uh, how you take care of us. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come here and to um, to worship, to learn, to enjoy fellowship with other Christians. Um, just pray that we leave here renewed, God, that everything we do here is in uh, in worship to you, God, from pure hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Job. Oh, we need to work on those levels just a little bit. Blowing my ears out, and if we could. I don't know if it's sounding good at home, but... Um, we're in Job chapter 15. So we're going. We're starting the second round of speeches here, and um, so we're going to start with Job, Eliphaz's speech in Job 15, and then we'll we'll try to get through Job's answer as two small chapters. So, and uh, there's uh, some general things we want to get to in there. I'm not going to go through them in, in detail, uh, but uh, pick out some. Uh, really good thoughts from these. So, uh, chapter 15, we're going to go through this in sections again. So, let's start with the first five verses. He says, Eliphaz the Temanite answered and says, Should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do no good? Yes, you cast off fear and you restrain prayer before God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. And so he begins with some opening accusations. What are those accusations? You can summarize them, kind of what, what um, and really what this whole chapter is going to be in some form is an attempt to discredit Job and Job's arguments. What are his accusations? Or his questions of Job. What is what is his? How is he questioning Job in this section? He attacks various things of Job. In verse two, what's he attacking? Okay, he's attacking his intelligence. All right, so um, now oh, this interesting. He says, "Should you fill yourself with the east wind?" Uh, the east wind. What is the east wind? Uh, in Acts, remember the the in the story of Acts where Paul is shipwrecked and they talk about Eurycliden. That's the east wind. Uh, it's a, it doesn't all. It's not always. East, but it can go several different directions. But it was referred to in the Old Testament apparently as the east wind. And Yurkon is a very dangerous wind, and it's not profitable really. It's not like a, a sometimes a, a front will come in and bring, you know, farmers will need like rain, and it is a while well, a front comes in and we finally got what we needed for our crops. This is a, a storm that comes in and it's really only destructive. 
it, and it doesn't really bring anything productive with it. So, uh, so he says, you fill yourself, you fill your belly with the east wind. Uh, and I think he's just talking to you like, you're, you're breathing in, and then all that's going to come out is destructive speech. And it's like, you, you know, you, you kind of prepare yourself, and then we have to listen to you for two chapters, you know, and, and, and we don't think that that's very smart. So that's a, kind of the first couple of accusations. A useless speech, but he goes on and he gets some really bad accusations of Job in, in these first five verses. Um, he turns, it turns to spiritual accusations. What are his spiritual accusations against Job? Well, right here, in, it, it's right here in, in um, Job 15 and then in uh, verse 4 and 5, what's he accusing him of? And perhaps why is he accusing him of it? And cast off fear? What's he accusing him of? Fear? No, not having fear. You're, you have no fear of God. Well, why would he accuse Job of not having any fear of God? What, what are their grounds? What is Eliphaz's grounds for saying that? Does he have a decent excuse to say that? What's Job's, what's Job's basic argument that he keeps repeating? I did nothing wrong. And, so if he did nothing wrong, what's been his conclusion so far? Remember what his basic assumption is. What is Job's basic assumption? And it's incorrect, by the way. This is from God. This is from God. And so, so if you are these guys, you can see why you might conclude Job has no fear of God. He's essentially accusing God to them. He's accusing God of punishing him unjustly. Yeah, that sounds like you're, you know, kind of, you'd have got no fear of God when you talk. I, I, I really honestly think that if it was me back then and I was some, you know, some old guy, I'd probably be saying, I'd be with Job's friends. I, I can see myself there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know if I'd be saying things like that, Job. So, uh, so he, he uh, says you have no fear of God, but then what else does he accuse him of here? You know, no fear of God, and what else are you doing? Okay, so in verse 5 he goes, your mouth proves your iniquity, but before that he says you restrain prayer. You must not be praying enough. You must not be really calling on God. You must not have a relationship with Him. And so, so we move right straight into judgments that, that can't be made. And, he's, uh, and so, uh, so then he accuses him, Your mouth condemns you. Your own speech testifies against you in verse 6. And, and so we're going to transition. Um, but he says, in verse 5, he says, Iniquity teaches your mouth, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. So he accuses them straight out of lying and deceit. Right, there's a lot of 
harsh accusations. Uh, some of them he might have some basis for, but some of them are just, you know, he's pulling them out of his ears. You know, it's like, where did you come up with that? So, so we move into the second section in verse six through ten, where, um, uh, and I want you to look for, um, we, we call them logical fallacies. Logical fallacies. Uh, some of you probably know what they are. Um, maybe most of you know what they are. But they're when you debate with somebody, you have a disagreement, <clears throat> and you're trying to prove your point, and you use arguments that don't actually prove or support the point you're trying to make. There's there's dozens and dozens of different types of logical fallacies. For example, a, fi- a common one is what we call ad hominem attacks, a personal attack. Uh, in which you're not really talking about the thing that you're discussing. You're, you more attack the person. Uh, and so you'll say, well, well, yeah, but you know, uh, you've got you're biased, right? You're biased, and that's supposed to say that you're wrong because you're biased. Well, I might be biased, but that doesn't mean I'm necessarily wrong. <laughs> biased people are correct all the time. Um, it, it, so I'm, but I, I try to prove my point by attacking the person. That's a logical fallacy. I've made an argument that doesn't actually prove what I'm trying to say. So look for the logical. There's, there's almost everything that comes out of Eliphaz's mouth from verse six to ten is a logical fallacy. Uh, he's not a very good debater. So he says, "Your own mouth condemns you, no, and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you." Are you the first man who was born? Were you made before the hills? Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that is not in us? Both the gray hair and the aged are among us, much older than your father. So... Uh, <clears throat> So he says, your speech betrays you. Your mouth condemns you. Uh, It's a logical fallacy. Who knows what circular reasoning is? What's circular reasoning? Or circular logic? All right, you use your, uh, your conclusion to prove your conclusion. <laughs> so if I say, well, um, if, I, if Christian, Christian preachers do this all the time, actually, uh, they'll get into a discussion about something and they'll say, well, how do you know this is true? Okay, well, because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know that the Bible is true? Well, because this... Thing, and they'll use whatever they're disproving, and then they go around and around in circles. It's like we we got to have an actual concrete point to begin from, right? So so if I said, uh, uh, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, because because you know Jesus said so. Well, how do you know that Jesus said so? Well, because the Bible said he said so. <laughs> there's there's it's fine to have faith, but there's no substance there for a person that doesn't believe in the Bible. You've assumed your point to prove your point, and so he says. He says um, here in 
in verse 6, he says, your own mouth condemns you, not me. So he's already supposed that Job is incorrect in his speech. Now what does he use to prove Job's speech? He says, your speech condemns you. <laughs> You've already assumed that. So you're assuming that I'm wrong in order to prove that I'm wrong. There's nothing, you haven't actually proved that my mouth is condemning me. See, he assumes that Job's conclusions were incorrect. Uh, and that's why he's proving that he's incorrect. Uh, so, verse 7, uh, move down there. He says, Are you the first man who was born, or were you made before the hills? Can you see a problem with this logic? Are you the oldest man that was ever born? What's the problem there? Okay, so the obvious answer is no, right? Um, and so this is what we call the—it's called an appeal to antiquity, or or appeal to tradition, or something to to that effect. Uh, in other words, the people who came before us were always right, right? It's kind of like we've always done it this way. Well, that doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> it's a logical fallacy. Just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean so. So, are you the first person that was born? Uh, well, obviously, no. Um, age does not determine whether you are correct. Has someone younger than you ever been correct if you disagreed? Well, yeah, it happens all the time. Um, now, this is, a, in, is a interesting. They're disagreeing with him. Their position is we're right and you're wrong because you're not the oldest man alive. See? Well, are you the oldest man alive? <laughs> no, you're not either. So, so your own thing is, is it's contradictory to itself. Okay. Uh, the next one, he says, have you heard the secrets of God? Has God spoken in your ear? In other words, this is a, this is a logical fallacy too. What's, what's, the, what's the problem here? Who knows what a straw man argument is? You ever heard of that? Okay, what's a straw man argument? It's basically building an argument on a false premise. Okay. And then and then knocking it knocking it down, proving it wrong, and then claiming victory. Okay, so so straw man is he's, he doesn't right, this straw man. It's like, it's like Wizard of Oz. He's filled with nothing. Right, he's just kind of straw. He's not he's not real. So instead of debating the thing that I want to debate, I set up a fake debate over here, and I attack that one, and it makes me feel like I beat you, but I'm not even talking about what we're talking about, right? Um, And so he he picks something that he can argue with, that he can easily prove, and makes it feel like he's defeated Job. So he says, have you heard, has God spoken in your ear? We're not talking about whether God's spoken in my ear. Whether God has spoken in my ear or not doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. I could still be innocent person whether or not God has spoken in my ear. You haven't proven that I'm guilty of anything. You, all you've done is prove that God hasn't spoken in my ear. That doesn't make me wrong. And again, we go back to the same thing. Has God spoken in your ear? No. So how can you assume you're right? right? We're both wrong then. How can that be? Um... Now, this is an interesting one, and this took me back. I was like, I had kind of challenged my picture of what's going on. He says, with us are the aged. 
What is he saying? There's two possible interpretations, and I'm, I really don't know which one is the right one. What are the two possibilities that he's saying? It could be both, actually, but what is he saying here? Older than your father. Okay, it's kind of along those lines. It's kind of like a, a similar to the appeal from antiquity. Um, so, so there's two possible things that he's saying here. Now, I don't know what he's either saying, for example, maybe Eliphaz and Bildad are older than you, Job. Like with us in this group are men who are older than your dad. And that, I never really thought, I kind of always thought of them as contemporaries. So he's possibly saying that with us are the, the older people than you. So we're smarter. Right? That would be a logical fallacy also, kind of like we've already talked about. Um, and, uh, or he's saying something along the lines of, because we, we've gone through this and seen how they've been quoting ancient proverbs, he might be saying, well, all the old proverbs, all the old smart guys agree with us. Right? That, that could be what he's saying. And I'm not sure if, if what he's saying here. Uh, Job is difficult to, to pull apart and get every detail right. So, so, but it's, what's funny is that no matter what interpretation you use, it's still a logical fallacy. No, ma- no matter which way this, what this means, he's used a bad argument. Uh, for example, um, <clears throat> if he's talking about us, as, as uh, Amanda pointed out, we're, we're right back to where he's talking about, well, older people are smarter than younger people. We're right because we're older. Uh, so, um, and that, that some people refer to this as, it's called the, it's got a Latin phrase and I can't pronounce it, so I'll just say it in English. It's called the appeal from the stick. Like, it's like, a, like um, might makes right kind of a thing. We're older, so shut up. We're automatically right by virtue of being older. Um, and if it's the other one, it's called the, the appeal to the authority. Um, oh, let us quote a source. That source agrees with us. It's usually very selective. <laughs> In other words, there were probably a lot of sources they could have quoted that would have disagreed with them, but we're just going, that's an, a completely separate logical fallacy. Uh, and, and, uh, so, so, uh, but we're going to appeal to the experts. The experts say. Have you ever heard that before? Experts say. <laughs> that's a logical fallacy. Experts are wrong all the time. Right? Remember, when, uh, remember when butter was going to kill you, and then now butter is good, and, 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 and it's like everything changes. Like every five years, the experts completely ignore what the experts five years ago said. Well, experts can be wrong. So, uh, so the, just look and pull apart. And we could go through this whole chapter actually and look at tons of them, but we're just going to limit to that. Uh, and I want to finish 11, verse 11 through 13. He says, uh, Are the consolations of God. Uh, too small for you, and the words spoken gently with you. Why does your heart carry you away? What do your eyes wink at that you turn your spirit against God and let words go out of your mouth? So he again goes back to more accusations against Job. Um, 
And again, spiritual things. Are, are the consolations of God too small for you? Is uh, this saying, you know, uh, don't, don't, you, don't you really want God to bless you? Do you think God's blessings aren't that important? Imagine now. Imagine who he's talking to. He's talking to a guy that would love to be blessed by God, who's been begging for God to have mercy on him. Well, you you don't really want God to bless you if you won't say that you're an awful person, and you'll get his blessings. Yeah. I I have a perspective about this particular thing that we're reading here, it, and it, it it could be wrong. I don't know, but it's it's interesting. Because um, it, it affects the way the whole thing is. Yeah. Is, is, uh, dialogue, but where it starts in verse seven, right, where he says, "Are you the first man who was born?" Yeah. Or were you uh, before the hills? And one of the characteristics of the first man that was born is he didn't have sin, right? And I think in this whole thing that um, this whole thing that was uh, that he's attacking, right? Is the fact that Job is saying he's without sin, right? Mm-hmm. Job is saying I have not sinned, and if you oh, I suppose that's interesting. Yeah, you take that first statement, right, and then say, okay, well, there's a piece of evidence. Is there? Is, does he say it anywhere else in it? He does, right? And it looks like if you, yeah, I don't think you've gotten there yet, but if you go down to, um, uh, you know, when he talks about the old people, yeah, it, you know, he, he was basically, you know, talking about all right, well, um, you know, there, there are those who are aged among us who would argue with you, mm-hmm. right? And you're saying you're without sin. And then he basically says here in 14, he says, what is man that he could be pure? Right, yes, yes. And who is born of a woman that he could, that he could be righteous? And if God puts, his tr- puts no trust in his saints and in the heavens that are not pure in his sight, how much less of a man who is abominable and filthy who drinks iniquity like water? So I think it's almost like, it seems to me like, you know that, that verse in John where it says, Anyone who claims that he is without sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It's almost like the same indignation that his friend is having on that on that statement that he's making. Look, every you're, what you're saying is ridiculous. How can you be without sin? Right. Right. That that's the way I'm reading. Right. So I I, I understand your point. And actually, though, the interesting thing is, Job has. We go back to several chapters ago, as as this guy's pointing out that everybody has sin. How can you say you have no sin? Remember that their perspective of sin is not nearly so comprehensive as ours. You know, they they don't have the the idea. Actually, Job's idea of sin will be further, more detailed morally than his as we go. He'll say, "Look, at I haven't even looked at a woman." Well, that's not that law hasn't been written yet. Right. You know, and he's not even around. You know, Moses anyway. He's not. He's not a Jew, or at least not fully a Jew. He might be sort of related to Abraham somewhere. I don't know. Uh, how that works, but he, so he might have some loose connections. So he's actually got a well-developed sense of, of morality, perhaps more so than at that time. They didn't have the idea of you know your your thoughts and 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 oh, I, I hated that person, and they didn't have that concept that we have. So when when he says I'm I'm without sin, he's talking about you know kind of like a, like the Pharisee would have come along and said you know. Well, I've done all these things from my youth. You know, the basic things. And, and, and God has supported him in that. For what they could know, he's had that morality. Um, and, and I think kind of along those lines, you, we go back to what, what Job has said. Job has agreed with him in, in, in the, you know, yes, I know no person is perfect. This is what's interesting is, as we go through these. 
Job is constantly saying, you're not adding anything to the conversation. I've already agreed to these basic principles, but those aren't changing the facts that I'm not guilty. This happened to me, and I'm not guilty. Don't you think I've gone through my life and tried to re-examine the things I've done? Mm-hmm. I'm not coming up with anything. So he's got these conclusions, and it's not proving anything right. So I want to go through, and so starting from verse 14 that you mentioned, he starts to discredit Job from general humanity. Principles, instead of attacking Job, he's just using general humanity things. And I want to just go briefly through these. What is man that he could be pure? He is born of woman that he could be righteous, that God puts no trust in his saints. I don't know how, talking about angels or whatever their limited knowledge was, I, I have no idea how he knows that God doesn't trust his angels. That must be a philosophy or some conclusion that the wise men have reached. Um, how much less man, so he starts with a faulty premise, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. What do we know about the story of Job and trust? God has trusted Job. God has staked his reputation in front of Satan on Job. Have you considered my servant Job? He said it twice. Hey, how are you doing, Satan? You're back again. Have you considered my servant Job? Were you looking out there for him? Well, yeah, but... God has trusted. God trusts his angels to do what he says. God trusts Job to be righteous and prove his point. So he says, verse 17, I will tell you, hear me, and that I will declare what the wise men have told, not hiding anything received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given. No alien passed among them. The wicked man writhes in pain all his days, and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ears, In prosperity, the destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, for a sword is waiting for him. He wanders about for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. He stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong, embossed shield. And though he has covered his face with his fatness and he's made his waist heavy with fat, he dwells in desolate cities and houses which no one inhabits, which are destined to become ruins. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor will his possessions overspread the earth. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry out in his branches, and by the breath of his mouth he will go away. Let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself, for futility will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time. And his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grapes like a vine and cast off his blossom like an olive tree for his company of hypocrites will be barren uh, and fire will consume the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and bring forth futility and their womb prepares deceit. And I read all this and, and really this is all one speech trying to establish just one or two points. And that, so, so we're not going to kind of go through all of these Individually, it's uh, it's more like a uh, it's like a collection of allegories, and and he's just point after point after point, and he's just really summarizing just two or three points. What is he? What is his? Just kind of as you go through this, what are just some of the basic ideas that you get the feel that he's trying to prove?
from the basic concept of man. In other words, so, so he's not specifically referring to Job. He's using, he's using people in general, humanity, society in general. What's the point? That that evil will there, there's a price for it. Okay. And you're not going to prosper. Okay. So so he's he's got a couple of things. So first of all, bad stuff gets bad stuff. Okay, that's that's generally true. Right? Generally, if you're a liar, it's going to come back and get you. Right? People are going to stop trusting you. People are going to figure out. You, 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 if people are going to run through friends. Users are going to use up their friends, and they're not going to have any. Right? You, you, you've seen that happen. Right? You've seen people who are constantly going from, you know, you know they're into drugs or whatever, and they, they, you, you know, they, now they're divorced. Right? because they used up their husband or wife's money. And then they go to their friends or their family. So now their brother doesn't want to talk to them or their sister doesn't want to talk to them. Their parents don't want to talk to them. That's generally true. Users are going to be without friends. They're going to come to no success. But is it always true? No. no. <laughs> this is, it's absurd what he's saying. Uh, on the face, of, first of all, he he's really, in a sense, echoes Calvinistic doctrines. Man is totally depraved all the time, right? He kind of has some of that. Uh, we start off with that. What is man that he could be pure? I mean, man is totally depraved. Man can't do anything good. That, that's false. <laughs> that's man. Men do pure things all the time. From his perspective, remember, he doesn't understand moral purity like we do, right? So, so man can't do good things. Now, I'm sure he would be the exception to that. You know, if you ask them, well, what about you? You seem to be doing okay. Well, I'm a good person. <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. Um, but, uh, so man can't be good, and the wicked only have failure. That's his point. Well, they never prosper. Well, that's dumb. The wicked people prosper all the time. In this very story, we know about wicked people who prospered. They stole Job's stuff. Well, that sounds pretty prosperous. They've got a couple thousand camel now. They're pretty prosperous. Solomon reinforced it, though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, the wicked will get theirs is generally true. And it might not be in this life. Yes, eventually they'll get theirs. But they might die not having got it and, and find out that that's where they get theirs. So we want to get to Job's reply here. Um, a couple of short chapters. I'm going to try to breeze through it. We probably won't get there. But Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall words of wind have an end? What provokes you that you answer? I could, I could talk like you do. If your soul was in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you. I could shake my head at you, but I would strengthen you rather with my mouth, and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved, and if I remain silent, how will I be comforted? But now he's worn me out. You have made desolate all of my company. You've shriveled me up, and it's my witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face. He tears me with his wrath. He hates me. He gnashes at me with his teeth. He's, my adversary sharpens his gaze on me. They gape at me with their mouth and strike me reproachfully, reproachfully on the cheek. They gather together me. 
against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he has now shattered me. He has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target and his archers surround me. He pierces my heart and doesn't pity. He pours my gall on the ground and he breaks me with wound after wound. And he runs at me like a warrior. I've sewn sackcloth on my skin and laid my head in the dust. My face is red from weeping and my eyes my eyelids is the, on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Though no violence is in my hand, my prayer is pure. O earth, do not cover my blood and let my grave let my cry have no resting place. Surely now my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads with his neighbor. For when a few years are finished, I will go the way of no return. I'm going to stop there. So, so Job opens up, and, and what is his first statement? Verse 1 through 6 of this chapter. What's his, what's his opening answer to Eliphaz? You guys are terrible friends. Yeah. <laughs> With friends like you, who needs enemies? Right. You're, you're, the point of being comforters, or friends, is to comfort. I could do the same thing to you. I could pick apart your faults if you want to. You're in. Anybody could like sit there, I'm going to scrutinize, oh, you did that thing, or you did that thing. I could do the same thing to you, but you're not suffering. I'm suffering. We could all pick each other apart, but somehow I've got you know, all these problems. I'm not really that much worse than you. Right? I haven't done things. And he identifies what he means by virtue. Right? There's no violence in my hands. Oh, and by the way, my prayers are pure. Right, he answers. He makes sure to answer that one. Don't be criticized in my prayer life. You aren't there. There's all these judgments that they're making of him, you know, that they can't possibly know. Um, you're, uh, he gets into uh, just really how he's like. All your speech has done is has made me feel worse. Um, <clears throat> And he goes then into the rest of the chapter and he describes what he's feeling and, and what's happening to him. And, and his, his, um, his, his, so contrast what he's saying about them with, with, what, with what he's feeling. He, he describes emotional trauma. It's like, I'm drained. I don't, I don't have any energy. I've got no family. He talks about not having a company. Right, that, that's his family. It's, it's their reference, the company of people, because they, they lived in clans and things like that. You know, so so his you, the the kids might be out with the they, they have their own places because they're taking care of flocks and various things like that. So they don't they're not all together. He's like, I have no company. I, I don't have anybody. I don't have a support system now. <laughs> um, I'm wrinkled. I'm shriveled now. I don't know if this if he's talking about his physical appearance. Um, or if he's just saying the, the word here, um, it means to be contracted. So it could be a reference to simply his loss of everything. Like, I, I was here, <laughs> now I'm here. Yeah. You know, before this statement, I, I almost thought that he was coming across as boastful or yeah. don't judge me. Or, right. You know. Yeah, he, he, it, it sounds really 
Your picture of Job, and this, this chapter changes my perspective of Job when I think about the person, because I think about, you know, a guy who's like right back at you, you know, like you kind of see this like, oh yeah, let me tell you. But multiple times in this, he talks about his eyes being red from crying. That doesn't sound like the same, but he's like, look at me. He's not, the picture of him is not necessarily accurate. My picture of him is not necessarily accurate, you know. Uh, what I thought of him, I thought of him as, you're going to tell me, well, I'm going to write back and I'm going to answer your arguments. And he does answer arguments, but, you know, I have kind of this, this after this chapter and seeing some of these references to his, uh, to his condition, it's like it, it changes the way I think about him a little bit. Um, He's like, there's evil men still plotting against me. They surround me like archers and and all that. He's like, I feel targeted by God. Think about that. Like, he sets me up for his target. Right? You can go do some archery practice or something, right? It's like, and I'm just sitting there, stuck in a field, while like arrow after arrow, and I'm just, I'm sitting here. I'm a target, right? I just, just wondering. Because it does, it does seem like, you know, I think Job's uh, accusation that they aren't good friends yeah. is legit, right? I mean, it sounds like, um, do you think that the reason that they're so critical of him is because, I mean, he, obviously he found himself in the situation, as you, you said, you know, before, like it could be for years, right? It could be for a, a, an elongated period of time. And they, it doesn't sound like they've actually, like, taken steps to help him to try to appreciate. Right. And do you think that they're just justifying... Their own, like these, these were close friends of his, and now all of a sudden are right. having to find an excuse for not lifting a finger to help him. Right. That, I, I think that's accurate. And he points that out. He, I mean, when he talks about, like, I could do the same thing as you. We can all, you know, we can all accuse each other of things. And I want you to think about this. I mean, they started out, I think, at, at the beginning, they, they were kind of, at least to some degree, genuine. They came with him, and they. Uh, they sat with them, right? They just sat with them. I, I, that's that's a noble thing to me. But but what's interesting is, is Job is complaining about the way they've talked to him, and the, the, just their wounds. Their their words have been to wound him. There was no transition from comfort to where we are at now. You can see how like over time people would transition. The first thing they do when they open their mouth is to start accusing him. There, there was no like. Hey Job, how are you feeling? What, you know, like we're quiet, and now it's like like you've been like planning for a week. Okay, here's what we've got to say to him. Like there was no there was no kindness in there to to prep him for you know what. The, so, so it's like like you say, maybe there is some disingenuous from the get go there, you know, and trying to justify. Well, it makes me you know we can be pretty harsh on hard on Job's friends. Sure. You Question is why? <laughs> this is opening question. I want to figure it out, God. Um, so, 
so, so he describes all these this grief and everything here, and you're not helping. All you're trying to do is figure out the why. Right? That doesn't help people. Um, so we get to uh, then uh, chapter 16. <clears throat> Job answered and said, I've heard many things. Miserable comfort, excuse me, I'm sorry, it. 17 is what I wanted here. My spirit is broken, my days are extinguished, the grave's ready for me. Are not the mockers with me? Doesn't my eye dwell on their provocation? Now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? For you have hidden their heart from understanding, therefore you will not exalt them. He who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children will fail. But he has made me a byword of the people and have become in those in whose face men spit. My eye has grown dim because of sorrow and my uh, members are like shadows. Upright men are astonished at this and the innocent stirs up himself against the hypocrite. Yet the righteous will hold on to his way and he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. But please come back again, all of you, for I will not find one wise man against uh, among you for I will uh, for my days are past and my purposes are broken off even the thoughts of my heart they change the night into day and the light is near they say in the face of darkness if I wait for the grave like my house if I make my bed in darkness if I say to corruption you are my father and the worm and to the worm you are my mother and sister where is my hope who can see it will they go down to the gates of Sheol shall we have rest together in the dust and um I think Job starts here in the first couple of verses further describing his situation, his broken spirit. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he says, I'm again, and again repeating, I'm surrounded by critics, it seems. That's all you can do is criticize. Um, and verse 3 gets to what you're saying, Cam, I think. He says, now put, now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who's, who's the one that's going to shake hands with me? Who's the one that's going to be an ally in all of this? Yeah, he's just described his whole situation. Where's the person that will be on my side? It's like, I've had enough problems and you're attacking me too. <laughs> Thanks for that. I didn't need more enemies. You have hidden your, their heart from understanding. It's just like he's going back and forth between talking with God and talking to these people. You've hidden their heart from understanding. You will not exalt them. In other words, these guys are going to be wrong eventually. They're going to be wrong. I know they're going to be wrong. And it's interesting. He goes between and he fluctuates. You can see like his mood fluctuating. Like he's totally despondent, and then he's like looking for hope and despondent and hope. And it's like that. Just kind of that, it, it's difficult, I'm sure, in this position. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of phrases in here. I'm um, trying to look for where it is because my version is different from the one I studied it out of. I'm not going to find it here. I should have put the verse in. Um, but there are. Um, but he talks about being infamous. I'm a byword among the people, and he talks about his infamy, right? And 
See, he, he talks about his humiliation. He goes out and he's humiliated. And it's interesting the reference to spitting. I am a people that men spit at. And there's a couple of interesting things in there. Now, I don't know if it's just like you're walking down the street and people spit at you. <clears throat> or curse you. But in he, among the Hebrews, people, in, 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 not just Hebrew themselves, but, but in this area, Arab people, there's a, there's a lot of superstition. And one of the things they'll do if, is, it's like bad luck. If they, you know, like we, you, you walk under a ladder, you know, do some bad luck that there's like a counter curse, right? You know, you got to throw salt over your shoulder, right? Like every society has these, these things that you have to do to undo some superstitious thing. Well, spitting was one of the things, like, uh, like, you just, you said something, you know, uh, knock on wood, right? We have all these things. Every society has these things. And so he's saying, I'm so bad. Like when I walk by people, like they have to do something to, to, so that I, they won't be affected by my curse. That's how cursed I am. Yeah. I'm the type of person that people spit at. And, and so, but he ends with positive. And so we're going to end with positive. He's like, my infamy also makes me famous. Right? Some people, maybe people will look at me and resist evil people. Maybe people will use my example someday. What he had no idea. That 3,000 years later, people on the other side of the world would be sitting here in a class talking about his life and trying to learn some things from his life. Had no idea. Had no idea. Job almost exactly quotes this. Remember the patience of Job. James writes. Um, and even Romans kind of has a similar thought. I believe it's Romans. It says, he goes, well, who's going to come down to the grave? He's like, I might as well hope. Because once I, if I die, if I just give up myself, then I have nothing to hope in. Who's going to come down to the grave and help me? No one, no one here can come down to the grave. And, and um, I think it's either, I think it actually, it's, I think it's Ephesians. Right? Who can go down to the grave to pull him up? Right? Who can ascend to heaven to bring him down? It's almost a very similar thing. Only, only God has that power. So, so his conclusion is, I'm going to trust God. I'm, I'm kind of done trusting other people because you're not really doing anything for me. So at the end of it, I have God to trust. And that is a comfort because we do fail other people from time to time. We say things we shouldn't in grief and like, oh, that was dumb. In the end, we have God to trust. So we're dismissed.